Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with a brand new season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview parenting experts, world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories and mom sense experiences. Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. Pandemic or not, these episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Join my tribe and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. The world has shown us so much ugliness lately. And so the only way for me to tap into that is to really say that everybody was once a child and what were the interactions that they had that got them to where they are today, which doesn't excuse behavior, but it does help you understand what is going on and how important it is to instill in childhood, the safety and security and boundaries and goodness and all the things that we want our adult children's lives to kind of look like. As a parent, Do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full, On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with That's Total Mom Sense. Happy New Year! Happy, happy, happy 2021! I know the world isn't completely different, but we are getting a chance to start anew uh, in January, and I just, I couldn't be more excited to be able to take the good that 2020 provided and move forward. So today's episode is with a special friend who is a physician. Her name is Dr. Aliza Pressman, and she hosts a show called Raising Good Humans uh, that's produced by Dear Media. I had the privilege of getting to know her and being introduced by the Dear Media team. Um, Shout out to Paige Port um, and Michelle Harrison for arranging that. I love you guys. Uh, Dr. Eliza is uh, really a wealth of knowledge, and she's a breath of fresh air. She covers parenting in a very intentional, easy-to-consume way. And she covers just the breadth from newborns to toddlers to tweens, teens, you know, when you're an empty nester, all of that. I think it's so important to 
evolve as parents as we're watching our kids grow before our eyes. And Dr. Aliza captures that in such an inspiring way on her show and through her work. So I wanted to kick off 2021 with this special interview. Listen in. As parents, I think the one main objective that we have is raising good humans. We want to raise our kids to be stand-up citizens of the world and have the values that we believe in that we want to instill in them and have them truly understand what it means to be a good, kind-hearted person. Um, It's not easy, and I feel like so much goes into nature and nurture, but the onus does lie on um, the parents, for the most part, in my opinion, because if we show them the way and lead by example, our our kids are definitely better off. Today, I'm joined by a guest um, who's really, really remarkable, and she has a podcast called Raising Good Humans. I'm sure many of you have heard it on uh, Dear Media. She is none other than Dr. Aliza Pressman. She interviews parenting experts covering a gamut of topics from things like free-range parenting to coping mechanisms for anxiety for kids of all ages. And I'm a big supporter of Dear Media, and I'm a really big fan of the show. So this is so exciting for me. Thank Um, you. Yeah, absolutely. So to give more context into um, Dr. Pressman's experience and expertise, uh, Dr. Aliza Pressman, PhD, received her undergraduate degree from Dartmouth College and her uh, master's in risk, resilience, and prevention from the Department of Human Development at Teachers College and earned her PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia University's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences with a fellowship at the National Center for Children and Families. Dr. Preston is certified in parent management training from the Yale Parenting Center and an assistant clinical professor at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in the Department of Pediatrics. Aliza is the co-founding director of the nonprofit Mount Sinai Parenting Center. She's the co-founder of Seedlings Group. It's a company that provides in-person sessions in New York and Los Angeles and via Skype for anyone living in between. And of course, in the COVID world that we're living in now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. During their private sessions, Dr. Lisa and her team of professionals address anything specific a parent is struggling with, and they educate them on what normal developmental changes to expect and the best ways to respond. So popular subjects include sleep solutions, picky eating, toilet training, sibling preparation, twin challenges, behavioral issues, proper discipline, limit setting, and more. Their visits use specific research-based information to help parents make the best decisions for their families during every major development period from birth through school age. Their advice is tailored to your child's stage and your parenting style. Rather than focusing on your child's abilities, Seedlings Group focuses on the caregiver's behaviors that will help scaffold your child's optimal development. She has two girls, Penelope and Vivian. They're ages 13 and 10, respectively, and she lives in L.A. So nice to have you. Thank you for having me. I haven't heard that I... I haven't heard our seedlings group description in like a decade. Oh, really? (laughs) It's it's really amazing that you built that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, I feel like COVID has colored our life in so many ways. And as parents, we are relying on, on an organization like seedlings to get us through. It's a crazy, crazy time. And I'm so 
grateful and honored that I have had the opportunity to live inside the computer like right now on Zooms and be supportive in any way I can. And also it feeds me because I'm also an isolated mom trying to get through this time. And so I realize like I get super connection yeah. from my work. So it's kind of a win-win, I hope. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's true. I think that you know, we are navigating as best we can via video, but um, support and connection in any form just helps. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's start from the beginning of your story. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up for you. I always wonder kind of what my fixation on child development came from and yeah, um, because I had really close relationships with both parents, but um, I was really fascinated also with their relationships with their parents. They just were so wildly different as people and their parents were, they came from such different kind of households, way approaches and ways of being. So mm -hmm. I just kind of watched with fascination and I watched like my own development and my this is so fascinating, but I didn't think about it consciously. And then I went to graduate school, not graduate school, before graduate school, I went to take like a psych class and was like, oh my God, child development is fascinating. <laughs> I, I think it's hard to learn about how we've come to be who we are without personalizing it a little bit. And I think it's probably for most people who go into any even adjacent field in mental health. It is a part of the process, but in doing that, you really just like, I think become more aware of why you might be the way you are and who you are. And then it leaves you more open to being able to understand how other people are and being open to understanding how little you know about other people. That's sort of been, I feel like my journey is finding out how little I know over the years. <laughs> the world has shown us so much ugliness lately. And so the only way for me to tap into that is to really say that everybody was once a child and what were the interactions that they had that got them to where they are today, right. which doesn't excuse behavior, but it does help you understand what is going on and help. I think it helps us all understand how important it is to instill in childhood the safety and security and boundaries and goodness and all the things that we want our adult children's lives to kind of look like. And we can't control it, but we do play a, a larger role. And I think it's so hard for me to say that because I don't want this to be pressure for parents. It's not mm -hmm. that like we can, you know, we're not puppeteers. But we do, our voice is inside our children's heads. It becomes their own voice, but it starts off as ours. And so I think that valuing and honoring how important that voice is, is really empowering, not something that's pressure, but I can see it coming across as like, ah, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm responsible yep. for this. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, I think we do come into the world as <laughs> our own, with our own temperament and our own kind of way of being that is innate. But then how the environment that we're raised in is so much of how that presents. It's such a big part of it. In a good way, we can control the environment of ourselves. Like parenting is the most powerful environmental influence on kids. We know that from research. That I think is a beautiful thing because we actually have control over ourselves. We don't have control over teachers, schools, neighborhoods, poverty, 
you know, other partners, how anybody else interacts, friends, even though we want to have control over those things that we think we might, but we don't, but we do have control over our own individual selves, thankfully. So I feel like that is heartening to me. Yes. I wanted to ask you about your work with the hospital and how you help residents and physicians, many of whom may not be parents yet. How do they learn and expand their horizon when it's like you're dealing with a medical problem, but, you know, to kind of factor in the emotional ramifications or whatever, when you're, when you're dealing with a problem like that, especially in pediatrics. I started teaching at Mount Sinai in the rotation, the behavior and development rotation for residents. I didn't really have any rules. Like it was like, teach this one month block that every pediatric resident gets And in doing that, I came to learn that most residents don't have kids because they're much younger, that they have all the medical training, but no training in social, emotional or behavioral stuff. So I was like, wait, what? So I thought I was coming in to kind of teach broadly about developmental differences and spotting things and atypical behaviors. And what I came to learn was that they really wanted to know about like discipline and potty training because they are the first and usually only people that parents have access to. I mean, 95% of babies are born in a hospital. You have a physician right there and you, no matter what, are going to have 15, I think, I could be off well child visits in the first five years. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to have like a seedlings group or like a parenting expert who's running a group most of the time. That's very, it's an extra. So parents really look to pediatricians for parenting stuff. And pediatricians, unbeknownst to parents, are like, ah, I know. (laughs) You know, it's not because they are not educated and brilliant, but they just, that's not part of their training. Right. So when I realized that, I, got together with some colleagues and we were like, let's create some kind of universal curriculum that integrates parenting and like behavior and development into those interactions you're going to have in your well-child visits. And that's really what we focus on is finding moments that already exist and helping healthcare providers infuse the parenting stuff and support for parents into that because we know mental health is such a huge and important part of physical health long-term. The crazy thing is, is the younger you are as a physician, the more likely you are to have really disadvantaged parents who are coming in with fewer resources and fewer support networks. And so your voice can be such a source of of support and empowerment instead of like, you're doing this wrong. Let me take you to the like corner social worker, Um, which is what can happen if, if a physician gets overwhelmed. Um, But also they're rushed, you know, like everything has to be done in 15 minutes. And so it's like a puzzle trying to figure out like, what can you throw in in 15 minutes? That's like somehow teaches more than one thing at the same time. So it's been really cool, but yeah, if you can get a pediatrician, like, Brazelton, who's written tons of books on touch points. He's no longer on this earth, but he's, mm. he died um, a few years ago, but he was like the, the pediatrician of your dreams because he just right. saw the baby as this new unfolding human and the parent as a new unfolding caregiver of themselves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Wow. So tell us about how you and your team of experts 
came up with the concept um, for the Seedlings Group. My co-founder of Seedlings Group and I were in graduate school. We had some overlap. She finished before me. And she was doing her postdoc work at NYU. And we both got pregnant at the same time. And we were in New York. And we kept calling each other to check in about like something we read or what other people had told us. And we would call each other because we were like, it just feels so much more safe to talk to you about this because you can look at the data and weigh it against the, you know, the chatter that's going on in the background and on the playground. And when you pass people and they see you're pregnant Mm. and we were like, that would be so relaxing to have support in the way that we all want support, but with this lens of bringing what we know from the academic world into the like kind of from page to stage, because I love theater. (laughs) Um, So we started just doing these mom groups. Well, first, I think we wrote down like everything that we had questions about and all of our research that we could pull together that could give us the kinds of answers that we felt comfortable with. And we also noticed that there's such like heavy opinions in the newspapers and books and on the playground, wherever, and trends, and that most of them are not evidence-based. And most of them are just claiming too much or making people feel guilty or a little bit wackadoodle. And so we wanted to kind of make sense of it all and make sure that we had the best information possible with the understanding that we don't, there isn't in the research every answer. And then we kind of tried to keep track of the practical stuff and we put together groups. We used to do them together. And then we were like, this is crazy that we're doing. (laughs) This is not a good use of mom time. Yeah. And then, um, and so we started doing them based on our baby's ages so that we could map out what we needed as Mm -hmm. moms and Mm -hmm. what the other moms needed. And then as our kids grew, like I still have groups that have been with me from the beginning. So my oldest group has 13 year olds. Cause I felt like even if I have the content knowledge from graduate school and training after graduate school and reading and whatever, that not having lived it as a mother would be harder on the parents that I work with, because there's so much that's like, well, that's great, but now what, you know? Right. Right. And then we started doing them online because we had some clients in different places and they would, or somebody would move, like someone moved to London and then they said, can we do a virtual group? And then someone was in Dubai and they wanted a group. And it just became this strange thing where we were like, in person and then virtually seeing people or having some people like private sessions, they don't like groups. So it really kind of depends on how much support you want from your sister moms. But we always like, I much prefer the groups because unless you're having an isolated problem that needs a lot of attention. So sometimes people from groups are like, I just have, this is like a thing I have to work through. And then they have their groups, but I think they just, I I find it so beautiful because the moms always end up together. Like their kids stay friends. The kids are only in the groups when they're babies. After that, it's just moms and dads sometimes or other caregivers. We kind of cluster them together. Mm -hmm. And it's just been really cool to watch them grow as friends. Like they stay together. Even if some of the groups don't stay with us, like sometimes they've kind of grown out of it or 
schedules haven't aligned or maybe they got sick of me. I don't know, but (laughs) they still connected as like their cohort of mom support where there isn't judgment and they can have like a similar way of being in the, in the room when their kids are playing or whatever. I love my clients so much and my groups that have been with me for years. I, I care so deeply about their experience. And of course I get to know them so well because I'm not a therapist, but I operate in a, so in a way it's more personal because I, I don't have to have the same boundaries. And I just love watching the different personalities and learn. I know my groups that have been around for over a decade, like we know each other really well. And I, I, we've already gone through like how they've been raised and what their hopes and dreams are and what their tempers are like, (laughs) what their Achilles heel is. And it's really interesting and they kind of help each other. So sometimes I sit back in some of my groups that have been around for a long time and I'm like, you guys, carry on. You guys can answer this question. I'm just going to watch this one. Yeah, that's so cool. So I want to just delve into your show, Raising Good Humans. And you are a developmental psychologist turned podcaster as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So how has that been um, for you? It's so fun. (laughs) I really love it. I did not expect to enjoy this medium because I wasn't really a podcast listener. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I had this opportunity, I originally was actually going to do sessions on the podcast, just like have clients or groups or just privates sort out a sleep thing or a behavior thing or a friendship issue or whatever. And then it became clear that Oh, I have so many colleagues that I just think are brilliant and amazing and have so many have taught me so much or I've worked with in a really cool way. And so I just tapped into that more and I do much, you know, periodically I have a real parent only on, but for the most part, it's been calling colleagues that I love and respect or mentors of mine who I just want to people to hear from who don't typically get out there Mm -hmm. and sometimes authors who I love. And it's just been so fun to have a chance to chat with them and also to, to prompt them to get their work out there in ways that are really practical for parents. I try to keep guiding them to the thing that I know will be sort of usable for the parents that are listening. And that's just based on my experience with my groups and knowing kind of what they respond to. Mm -hmm. And that's been so, so fun. I'm so in love with the experience of the conversation that we end up talking for way too long. And (laughs) just, it's really enjoy. It's just really enjoyable. I think the episodes were supposed to be 30 minutes and they're always way longer than that because (laughs) I'm like, but there's so much, much you know, had those experience. I think this happens a lot where people are like, when, what's the book going to be? Or when are you going to do a book? And that felt like, oh, but there are so many amazing books out there already. I have nothing new to say. They're in there. You just have to find them. And I didn't want to burden parents with another, you know, here's another reason to feel bad that you didn't read the book. Right. right. Um, So I thought I could do a little bit more on the podcast in terms of just like saving parents time. Because sometimes books as amazing as they are really do go too far. Like you just are like, I 
definitely did not need all that. Although yes. I love them, but I'm yeah. a developmental psychologist. This is like my, you know, that's your GM. That's what I like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my fun time reading. When I think about parents who are not developmental psychologists, what can I offer that brings that to them without the added, oh, I have more yeah, to do. No, one more thing. Yeah, exactly. And another kind of uh, topic I want to just flesh out is the fact that we are the product of our, our parents, where we came from. And let's say if a, person, a parent had an abusive childhood, you know, they need to do a total paradigm shift so that they're not kind of employing the same abusive tactics on their kids. How do they rewire and not kind of fall into that status quo? It's really important if you have been part of an abusive childhood and being part of it sounds like you had something to do with it. But if you've been abused as a child or had any kind of difficult relationship in your early years to come to terms with that in through mm-hmm. your own therapy work, separately from your interactions with your kids so that you can consciously not repeat those behaviors and also love yourself and parent yourself because you don't necessarily now have that support that we all need to be parents to be able to feel seen and loved and supported in order to see and love and support someone else. So I think that's our own individual work. And then in terms of interacting with our kids, remembering that wiring our kids' brains and our own comes from practice and doing things over and over and over. And in fact, the connection with your kid is not the thing that defines the relationship. What defines the relationship, what makes the relationship stronger is that there are these small moments of discord and disrepair. This is all from research that's been going on for decades, but now we have neuroscience to prove it. So it's kind of fun. That repair, that process of coming apart and coming back together makes all of your foundation so much stronger. Mm-hmm. And so you are wiring your children to believe that you are absolutely not going anywhere, that your love is unconditional, and also that you can have wear and tear on a relationship and still be okay. You don't, your children don't need to learn that a disconnect or discord causes the end of earth or causes a parent not to love you anymore. It's not at all that. And that's what we need in our adult relationships too, but it's very hard to, it's hard to do that with kids if you don't believe it. Yes. Um, When do kids have an understanding of what's right and wrong and how can we as parents be aware of that? There are studies on moral development about nine-month-old babies where they kind of see these characters, their shapes, and they they change the shapes so that the study was not like favoring a shape or a color. But essentially, they see characters either being helping or hurting. Ah. So the way they do it is they see like, let's say there's a circle with an eyeball on it. That's a character and it's going up a hill. There's another character that might push it down the hill and there's one that might help it up. And when even babies see that behavior in the shapes, in these characters, Mm -hmm. then when they're offered to play with those shapes, they pick the helper. They don't pick the crappy one that's hurting people. So we are wired for good stuff. We really are. And we're wired to favor the person who's being good. 
but you have to practice and you have to value it and you have to do it. So they have to grow up seeing that you're a helper, that you're kind and that you value that. So yeah, it does start in infancy, but it's something that really grows. And also it requires certain developmental tasks to be met. So you need to understand, for example, what's called theory of mind, which is that you need to understand that another person has different thoughts than you and Mm -hmm. may not see things the way you do, which is essentially perspective taking. And we know that like a three-year-old can't do that, but a four-year-old can. And so once you see that another person might have a different experience, impression, idea, then you can have empathy. So everything kind of grows with your development and there are milestones that you can hit, but basically it's, you know, it's a forever process. We, yeah. We're all working on being good people, I think, yeah. um, because even though we come out wired for goodness, the world takes a toll. Yeah. And, you know, I should say, like, if your child does something mean, which all our children are going to do, try not to tell the story in your head, like, oh my God, this snatching something from and bonking, a, you know, your brother mm-hmm. on the head <laughs> translates to if I don't correct this behavior now and make sure they know this is unacceptable, even though of course you're going to correct it. But if I don't make sure that my kid is kind and loving and everything, everything now, they're going to be bad people. That's not what it is. Your high school is going to do something crappy. Your (laughs) your five-year-old is going to do something that's horrifying. Like kids are are going to practice and try on different things. Question is, how did it feel for them? And how did you deal with it? And if they learn the difference between guilt and shame, like guilt will be their rudder, their moral Mm -hmm. rudder, Mm because they'll be like, I don't like how that feels. Doing something hurtful to someone didn't feel good. And if you are the kind of parent who leads with that, like imagining how someone else feels when the child behaves like that and thinking about like what that felt like in your tummy, when you, you know, saw that you hurt someone, then you're helping them guide them. If you operate from a place of shame, like you're a terrible kid, like who does that? How could I'm disappointed in you as a person, then you're just shaming. And when you shame someone, they become who you're naming. Yeah. Yeah. And they definitely don't develop that moral compass. They just know that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. they? They just, their stress response makes it so that they can't learn. They're just trying to survive. Yes, exactly. Just going through the motions, but they don't know why. Yeah. So was there a time where you just trusted your mom's sense and it just, it steered you on the right path? I have learned, I have a different, a very different personality from my younger child. Mm. She taught me something through her way of being in the world, which is she's just a much more introverted, quiet person. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, I I used to say to her, are you okay? You don't seem happy. And she said to me, mom, just because I'm not smiling does not mean I'm not happy. You and Penelope are just smiley people. And I was like, oh my God, of course. (laughs) So I feel like she had the mom sense moment. Yes. I was like, how the hell did I not? Like I'm a psychologist. Oh, wow. Oh my God. That's so profound. Um, It was so profound from this little tiny thing. And I was just like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's awesome. Let's not forget our quote of the day. 
quote that you live by? This quote that I'm going to mess up by Maya Angelou. I've learned that no matter what happens or how bad it seems today, life goes on and it will be better tomorrow. I've learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way he or she handles these three things, a rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. So So, spot on. Yes, we want to build resilient kids. And now more than ever, we're seeing that there's some big, bad things that can happen in the world. But for the most part, it's going to be the small things. And you want to be able to function and be happy and be kind when those small things happen and realize that on balance, you're going to be okay. It's now time for Mom Hall, when we share products we love. Is there a product or brand or app or really anything that you're just loving right now that you want to share with my viewers? I mean, my, my listeners. It's incredibly <laughs> superficial, but the most important object of COVID for me has been this like thing called Color Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like eyeshadow. It looks like eyeshadow, but it's just, you can like put powder in your roots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're not going for our regular, you know, salon appointments. So. Yeah. That yeah. has been legitimately like to me it was uh, a mom told me about it like two months into COVID when I was whining mm-hmm. and I, I was like, how do I not know about this anyway? Right, right, right. right. Problem solved. <laughs> we can that's, stay home. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's my product endorsement. <laughs> there you go. I love it. You know, where can my listeners find you? I'm pretty much only on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast or at Seedlings Group. I'm not good at any of the other social media outlets. Mm-hmm. And then the podcast is, I think, on iTunes. Yep. There's no iTunes, Apple podcasts. Yeah. I think iTunes yeah. is gone now. I'm yeah. I can't keep up, but yeah, Apple podcasts and all the other podcast networks. I try, but I'm behind, but I try to do Q and A's on if people DM me. Yes, that's great. That's great. Um, I mean, well, we all know and love uh, your podcast and it's great that you, Thank you, yeah, you're a voice, you know, in this field um, and you're, you're making it so tangible for us as parents um, because you're bridging that gap between the medical arena and, and moms out there. So Thank I'm so, you. so honored to yeah, have had this chat with you. Thank you. It's an honor <laughs> to be here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this first episode of the year with Dr. Aliza. I hope you got some great takeaways from our conversation. Tune into other episodes and browse my YouTube videos and blog posts on my brand new website, thatstotalmomsense.com. I wanted to share a review from one of my distinguished guests. She is the founder of uh, Wander Beauty, and her name is Divya Gugnani, and she's a dear friend. Um, and she says, great conversation, relatable anecdotes, everything flowed nicely. Kanika has a strong interview style, asked all the right questions, and made me feel at ease as a guest. Divya, thank you. Thank you so much for those kind words. I'm so thankful to have you in my corner always. And I love that sharing these stories in such uh, an intentional way makes a mark on both the guests and 
all of you. So I hope you got a chance to learn and laugh and maybe even get a little choked up uh, during this episode because that's what it's all about. I, I want to be able to relate to all of you. And with all that's happened in 2020, I think uh, 2021 is going to be the year of really solidifying um, and honing in on our relationships, uh, connecting and celebrating our stories. Thank you for joining me. And as always, trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.